time again for Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques DeBrucher, a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. If you are suffering from addiction, misery, trauma, whatever it is, I'm here to help. If you're in search of help to try to get your life back together, join me here at Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard, the addiction recovery podcast. to be real clear about what this podcast is intended for. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes, but not considered help. If you actually need real help and you're in need of help, please seek that out. If you're in dire need of help, you can go to your nearest emergency room or you can check into a rehab center or call a counselor like me and talk about your problems and work through them. But don't rely on a podcast to be that form of help. It's not. It's just a podcast. It's for entertainment and information only. So let's keep it in that light, all right? Have a good time, learn something, and then get the real help that you need from a professional. Are you feeling tired and listless? Do you have headaches, nausea, sweating? Are you hypervigilant, paranoid, angry, violent, or just nodding off? Maybe you have addiction. Well, you're in luck. We at World Domination Drugs have developed a new medication that can cure those pesky addiction issues with Drugno, the new drug addiction vaccine. With Drugno, there is no need for risky and questionable, difficult, and intrusive long-term residential treatments, no need for going to sketchy parts of town to score from Yayo, Candyman, or D-Boy. No more cops, POs, judges, lawyers, or doctors. Say goodbye to that unwanted addiction and get the new Drug No vaccine today. Yes, the circus is back in town. It seems that science has figured out yet another way to monetize the treatment of addiction. At least that's what it seems like. I was reading an article on some new research that drug companies are involved with and scientists are involved with that includes trying to understand the reasons for addiction and how we can cure it. So they've come up with a wonderful idea of a vaccine for addiction. A more preposterous idea I have not heard in quite some time. It seems that the quest for an anti-addiction vaccine began in earnest when Dr. Nora Volkow and the National Institute for Drug Addiction Director and Francis Collins, then the NIH director, called on scientists and industry to help develop vaccines specific against opioids. And then in 2000, and that was reported in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine in 2017. The quest for such treatment continues. So they're still looking to figure out how to vaccinate people for their opioid addiction. I literally, I'm pulling my hair out and trying not to get overly angry about this because I don't understand how, I'm using finger quotes, scientists can ignore the causes of addiction. They just keep wanting to treat the symptoms, the usage. They do not distinguish or differentiate symptoms from condition. It's very strange. It'd be like if you reported to the emergency room with a broken arm and they tried to figure out 
um, how to fix it. So they splint it. And then as soon as it's healed, you come back with a broken arm again. And then they splint it. And then six weeks later, you come back with a broken arm. And they just keep repeating the splinting. Nobody ever asks you, excuse me, why is your arm broken? They just keep splinting it. These are scientists who are saying that they're trying to get to the cause of addiction by treating it with a vaccine when they're not actually getting to the cause of the addiction. Now, the article that I read included that information about uh, the limits to behavioral uh, vaccines, but you know what? They're taking this stuff seriously. So the, um, the NIDA, their model of addiction is as a brain disease. So they see it as a brain condition. So this is your brain failing you. Your addiction is a cause of brain failing. So if you have this failing brain, then we must somehow create an environment where the brain is not failing. So to do that, we then have to figure out chemically what's going on with it or electrically because the brain is functioning through electrochemical interaction in neurons. So that's the only way we're going to treat it. They just, for whatever reason, refuse to acknowledge that the cause of addiction is from a reaction to something traumatic. People use because they're uncomfortable. And sure, when you are addicted to a drug that is, causes you to become chemically dependent, alcohol or opioid drugs, benzodiazepines, things like that, uh, they say, okay, well, if you get off the drug of choice, you know, whatever your drug of choice is, then what's causing you to feel uncomfortable is that withdrawal process. True and irrelevant at the same time. In its 2016 to 2020 strategic plan, the National Institutes on Drug Abuse, the NIDA, and the National Institutes of Health promoted the promise of anti-addiction vaccines aimed at eliciting antibodies that block the effects of a specific drug. So a drug vaccine. Uh, <laughs> drug vaccine. So they're going to give you a drug vaccine that's going to keep you from using a specific drug and block the effects it has on getting high. Uh, wonderful. What do we know? What do we know for fact that happens when somebody can't get their drug of choice? They turn to a transference or cross addiction. That's what we call it. And they begin to use another drug. So my drug of choice is opiate drugs. And then I decide I can't get it because I got this vaccine that blocks the effects of it. So I'm going to start drinking or I'll start doing, I don't know, something else gambling shopping i mean in the in the uh, it's interesting because in the american bariatric association the aba they know factually that when somebody gets a gastrointestinal sleeve or they get a um uh gastric bypass surgery lap the lap band something like that they require that their patients go through at least three months of counseling prior to having the surgery and that the counselor signs off saying that they are eligible for the surgery because they do not actually have an addiction problem. But it takes three months for a therapist to do that. The ABA has determined that as part of their protocol for treatment, that is a requirement that patients go through that. I've worked with those patients. I've signed off on some and have refused to sign off on others because I knew there was an addiction issue. 
what happens if they don't do that? Well, what they found was that those people, and, and I wish I had the data on that, but it's a, a very high percentage, enough for them to enact this policy, is that those people who got the surgeries and did not have the counseling and the support to determine if they had a true addiction issue with food would then engage in what's called a transference addiction. In other words, they would then move towards something else. My anecdotal experience is that they turn to gambling or alcohol. That's the dominant two forms of addiction that, that my clients would turn to. So the American Bariatric Association figured that out pretty quickly. Interestingly, the NIH and the NIDA still has their, uh, their claws set in the idea that addiction is strictly a behavioral issue and that it is a brain disease. And so we must fix the brain by addressing the action of using the drug of choice. Pure and unadulterated silliness. I, I really do believe. I just can't understand why they just continue to do that. It's almost as if they're not looking at the actual people that treat addiction. And I don't mean the medical doctors that are treating withdrawal and overdose in the hospitals. They're only seemingly looking at I'm guessing, based on this information and these types of research, what they believe is the cause of addiction when somebody presents in a hospital setting, which would make sense. Yes, they're, they're wacky, they're dysregulated, and they, they are reporting that they're using, and that is the problem. They're using the drug of choice. The people that are actually treating addiction are the ones that are working with them once they leave that hospital setting or that residential treatment setting and actually working on the cause of addiction. So you can medicate and vaccinate people all you want, all day long. You're going to end up with the same outcomes. Uh, we have identified many of the biological and environmental factors of addiction and are beginning to search for the genetic variations that contribute to the development and prog progression of the disease. The NIDA's director of Vol Volcal stated in 2017, we've identified many of the biological and environmental factors of addiction. So the environmental factors. So you're looking for a genetic variation. I, I don't understand that statement. It, it, they're either biological or they're environmental. So what are you searching for? You're not searching for the right thing. So the NIDA's brain disease model uh, not only enriches psychiatric drug makers and big pharma because it, it, things like uh, antabuse and naltrexone and um, suboxone and methadone, but they're ignoring the social reasons for drug addiction. It's really shocking. Drug addiction may be caused by usage. If you have the drug and you use it and then you become addicted. Yes. But it's just, it's, confusing to me like for example uh suboxone and there's there's one company that makes suboxone one and in 2018 they sold 895 million dollars worth of suboxone that was in 2018 now we've got a, an, a wave of opioid addiction that's higher than it's ever been and fentanyl contributing to that and so this company is a profit center for 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 drugs. This dr drugs to fight that as, as like in the form of vaccines 
is a huge moneymaker because this vaccine, I can promise you, this vaccine, this vaccine that's being uh, talked about, the different vaccines, they are ones that you would have to keep going back to get. And they're going to be expensive. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, Volcow personally collaborated with five pharmaceutical companies in research that seek to help translate basic information into food and drug administration approved treatments. That's a, that's a, a, a really an egregious conflict of interest. There's no money to be made in the 12 steps. There's no money to be made in uh, free programs, faith-based programs. There's no money to be made in peer-to-peer support, mutual aid society type recovery. And so they can't make money on it, but what can they make money on? Selling drugs. Well, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, Suboxone is one. And, and for those of you on Suboxone, it keeps you safe. It keeps you legal. Uh, okay, great. Awesome. But in my opinion, you still have an addiction issue if you're on Suboxone. And if you are afraid to get off of Suboxone because you're afraid of the withdrawals that you would go through to get off Suboxone, then I, I feel for you. But you know what? That's part of recovery. It is whether it's alcohol, benzos, opioid drugs, crystal meth, crack cocaine. It doesn't matter. Addiction is addiction and withdrawal is withdrawal. It is painful. It's horrible. It's not lifelong. And you get through it. And it is a horrific thing to get through. I've treated it. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed the worst of the worst. And somebody who is going through it, I really do feel for you. But brother, sister, it's what you got to go through. So Volkow uh, is looking at this as, as a high-tech treatment with anti-addiction vaccines. That seems like a very lucrative thing. If you really wonder if it is, look at the numbers of people who have addiction. Look at the numbers of people who go through treatment and the multi-billion dollar industry in, in residential treatment as well as outpatient treatment. And it's a huge profit for those who are engaging in it. Yes, absolutely. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Is it costly? Absolutely. And trust me, as a professional who treats these people, I can tell you there's a reason I'm in private practice because it's very difficult to make a living uh, if you are working for a residential treatment program. As a clinician, it's very difficult. The costs are exorbitantly high to get it to work uh, to, to operate it. That's true. And at the same time, when you are trying to treat your addiction, you have to spend money to do it. But you were spending huge amounts of money on your addiction. It's going to cost you money to get out of that. If you add into that the added costs of lawyers and uh, things like the interlock device on your car, uh, the legal system, the medical bills associated with it, those of you who overdose and end up uh, in residential treatment, huge amount of cost combined. Yes, absolutely. Is it necessary? Absolutely. However, what's the alternative? Jail, prison, dead? I don't know. The brain damage, the uh, irreparable kind of suffering that people go through. This kid who just recently 
drank so much vodka and alcohol that in his fraternity uh, pledging process, the hazing that was going on, he ended up, he's a, he's a walking vegetable. Uh, he's still conscious. He can still kind of look around and do things, but he can't talk. He can't walk. He can't function. Kid's 18 years old. For the rest of his life, he's going to need institutional care. I have clients who have severe brain damage caused by drugs and alcohol. And while they, some of them can function, uh, a few of them can't. And they're going to need custodial care, institutionalized care for the rest of their life. Brain damage. Huge cost there. So no matter how you slice it, it's expensive, right? However, adding the false hope and the ridiculous kind of idea that somehow a vaccine is going to solve the problem, because I can promise you, until you start working on the actual cause of the addiction, which in my clinical opinion, 100% of the time, with the, at least within my office, is caused by some horrific childhood experiences that have made the person feel like they don't quite fit in or they are maladaptive in some way, and they end up using. And so these people that are suffering from addiction are suffering from a, a tremendous amount of trauma that just does you can't vaccinate trauma experience. I'm sorry, there's no such thing. There's never going to be such a thing. You can't. You can vaccinate somebody from using. We already have those kinds of things. The ant, ant abuse is a, is a version of that, if you will. You take the drug and as soon as you drink alcohol, you become violently ill and start throwing up if you're actually taking it as you're supposed to. So that's sort of a vaccine, right? But it's, it's something you have to take every single day. Otherwise, it becomes ineffective. And unfortunately, there are adverse effects with that. If you have a, uh, a perfume or a cologne or some kind of skin product of any kind that has alcohol in it, you can put that on your skin and start feeling nauseous. That's not fun. You may eat food somewhere where you take a bite and you realize that there was some kind of alcohol involved in the processing of it in some form or fashion, and you start feeling ill. You're not, even, you're not trying to get drunk or high, but there it is. You know, there's always an adverse effect. But what we're talking about is taking a vaccine that you get injected with and it somehow causes the blocking in the brain of the effectiveness of the drug. So it sits on the same receptors. Uh, Suboxone does that and it blocks the, uh, the receptors for the opiate, the opi opioid receptors causing you to not get high. Uh, however, you can abuse it and you can take large amounts of Suboxone and get high from that. So it's not foolproof in that way. But what they're talking about is they're causing somebody to not actually use their drug of choice. They think the model is to not use the drug of choice. Magic, magic. It's suddenly it's gone. But you take the vaccine. And what happens is you end up with a person who is dependent on this vaccine. And so you're controlling it. So do you then force that on people who are in the criminal system? So you vaccinate them for their drug of choice. You find out what the drug of choice is. And these, I'm not seeing these as being broad spectrum because there are different receptors in the brain. So THC and opioid and alcohol, um, benzodiazepine, it, it, hits, it hits different receptors. So what are you going to do? So somebody comes in and they've got a problem with opiate drugs and you give them that vaccine. And then they come back in and they got an alcohol issue, you give them the va that vaccine. And then they have to keep doing it. And then you're going to force it on people? 
What about people who are criminals? I mean, if you're buying drugs on the street, you're a criminal, right? Uh, if you're selling drugs and you're high all the time, you're a criminal. So what are you going to do? Like force it on people as part of their sentencing within the uh, legal system? It's the magic panacea. And the people that are involved in this, uh, shockingly, are scientists. And I, I don't understand. Uh, research published in the journal Cultural Medicine and Psychiatry in 2001 concur that the problem of, of the, uh, the problem of addict advocating personal responsibility. Quote, while the NIDA's neurobiological understanding of addiction has been crucial in advancing pharmatherapeutic interventions and advocacy for people experiencing problematic substance use, it can nevertheless be internalized by people such as uh, Vivian, a cited case, who understand their chronic relapse as just part of being an addict. It is part of being an addict. Chronic relapse is what it is, by definition, the DSM. That's what it is. It's chronic relapsing, and so it's difficult to treat. But you can't advocate your personal responsibility in this. It's just confounding me as to how this could possibly be perceived as valid science. The person has an addiction problem. Yes. Is it a personal responsibility? Yes. Do they need to be personally responsible for participating in their recovery? Yes. So are there things that can help that? Yes. Naltrexone is one of those. It kind of curbs the cravings. So you take your naltrexone or you don't. And so if you're an alcoholic and you're taking naltrexone, guess what? You're probably not going to have the cravings. But if you're only taking naltrexone and you're not doing anything else in the form of treatment for your addiction, you are not taking personal responsibility for the addiction and the recovery. But guess what, folks? People who have addiction... They don't want to get sober. Why? Because they're suffering from their pain of their trauma, most likely from their childhood, where they were sexually assaulted, molested, beaten, abused, burned, abandoned, something. And so you can't take a drug to make that go away. Because guess what? That's what they've been trying to do by taking the heroin and the uh, alcohol and the crystal meth and everything else. Those people have tragic lives. And scientists... Really, the hard scientists just, for some reason, refuse to accept the hard science experience. I mean, I'm sorry, the soft science experience of treating addiction. It is not a behavioral problem. It is a behavioral maladaptive coping mechanism for the problem. And I, I do interventions. I did two of them in the last couple of weeks. I'm telling you, it is... The family who has the addict, that's what they miss. They miss that part too. It is not, the behavior is not the problem. The behavior becomes the problem, but it is not the problem. The problem is what they experience that they're coping with that they can't. So then they start using drugs and alcohol. And then all the family or the hard scientists, all they see is this person who is using a drug. Stop taking the drug. The problem goes away. No, it doesn't. The problem is still there. The usage goes away. And that's the only thing that changes. So 
should we be looking at vaccines for drug addiction? No. Let's figure out how to get people out of broken homes and problems with molestation and abuse and abandonment and all the other stuff in childhood that causes addiction. We have a severe problem with the generation coming up who are victims of the coronavirus and the uh, isolation for two years during their developmental stages in life. And I see it now in behaviors that I see around me with, with teenagers. I, I'm, I'm not seeing it as much with the younger kids, but I am seeing it with the teenagers. And that's going to be my next wave of clients. I've already started. There's been an increase in the 16 to 18 year olds whose parents are seeking me out to help them with their child who has all kinds of drug problems and drinking problems. And that's where it's going to, that's where it's going to be. There's no vaccine for that. You can't vaccinate for the problem that people have experienced in the coronavirus. So scientists, please stop with this nonsense. (laughs) It's just not helpful from the front lines of treatment here at my office. It's not helpful. Let's treat the problem and the cause. Let's stop treating the symptom for God's sake. And that's it for today on this wonderful Doc Shock, Your Addiction Lifeguard podcast. I want to thank you for listening to me rant about some shocking news. But with that in mind, I want you to please, if you have an addiction problem, go out and get help. And you can get that in the form of going into residential treatment or seek somebody out like me who does uh, specialized work in addiction and recovery. If you're a family who has an addict, please, you can reach out to me. I'll do an intervention for you. Let's get them into the pathway to recovery because this misery that they're living is just not worth it. So thanks for listening, and I hope you uh, enjoyed this podcast. Listen to future podcasts coming up every week here at Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard. Until next time, thanks for listening.